Truly, it is good to be in the Lord's house. I appreciate you so much and your sincere worship and your fellowship. We kind of bypass most of the announcements there. We just kind of make up as we go on some of these things. And we'll toss out just one thing. I think our ISM students are going to be leaving Wednesday. Are you absolutely sure, Caleb, that that's still ongoing? Did y'all call to confirm? I thought I saw something. Aren't y'all driving through Searcy for the Living Nativity? Oh, it's not the living, okay, all right, I was going to say, I thought that tonight was the last night of the living nativity, so, all right, so ICM students are going to be making a trip on Wednesday night, and what we're going to do as the adult world here that I feel led by my own convictions is, um, if, if anybody wants to join me in fasting that day, I'm going to fast that day, and then I want to have an anointing service on Wednesday night, so if you come to the house on Wednesday night, I'm going to take the anointing oil and pray, just kind of end of year, anticipation of new year. Uh, endurance of the holidays, whatever it is that you feel like you just need to be, have a moment of consecration, right? So then you come to that service on Sunday night, or excuse me, Wednesday night at 630. Um, I'm not going to make any other announcements other than just to remind you again about our fellowship meal. We do want to encourage you to stay and be a part of, the, uh, of this. Um, pick up your children, obviously, first if you have children, and, uh, and then the line will form, and uh, it goes pretty quickly, but there's a lot of seating back there. It's a great time of fellowship, great time to get to know one another. So today, if you're new to our church family, just real quickly, I've been taking the church on a journey called the Journey of Faith. Now, commenced to the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, the 8th verse. It was originally kind of more the word of faith. It's kind of became a journey of faith as I began to study, and I found myself trailing through the, and following the children of Israel upon their deliverance from Egypt and their entrance into not the promised land, but into the wilderness and what became the wilderness journey. And that's where we've been. Time doesn't allow us to go back and to layer where we've been because we're about 12 weeks into this thus far. I've been reminded of 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So we've tried to look very, very closely and uh, look at these things and then make them applicable unto us. The Word of God is living and active. And no matter what generation, it was mentioned earlier, no matter what um, century we've lived in, in the Christian community, the Word of God is unchanging. And so we look at it, it sparks faith in us, because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it stimulates within our, our heart and life a belief system that we then act upon. So we're looking again very closely um, at the children of Israel. We're looking at the good and the bad, the highs, the lows, the ups and the downs. We're looking at their failures, but we're also looking at when they did believe God. How I many you know you can learn by looking at failure sometimes equally as much as, as success? And you have to look at both. And when I use the term success, I'm not using it in a business connotation. I'm using it in success to me is faithfulness. Right? If I'm faithful to God, then I'm successful in my endeavor. Right? I don't have to meet anybody else's measurement as long as I'm faithful before the Lord. And so as a pastor, one of the things that I hope and pray is that the message that I bring to you after much prayer and contemplation, uh, that everybody can receive something from it. Now, sometimes there, it's, so, it's so narrowed, so specific, that obviously you hear and receive something, but it maybe, it's, maybe it's more for somebody else than it is for you on that day, whatever the case might be. But today, the Christmas card comes with your name on it. Today, everybody gets a card. And so we, it, it, you'll know in just a moment. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. If you do stand in the honor of reading Scripture, we're going to read all of three verses or four verses. Actually, it might be three because I don't know if I gave them the, the one verse, but I'll go ahead. We've been reading the 11th verse all along. But the 10th verse here says, concerning the children of Israel, 1 Corinthians 10 Neither, I'm reading from the King James Version, and I'm going to shock some of you that I've been contemplating about reading from another translation. I'm not there yet. I'm closing. I'm, clo I'm praying about it. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now, had I been reading in that other translation, it would have said, neither complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed of the destroyer. Philippians chapter number 2. Let's turn there. You're saying, Pastor, I don't turn very fast. It's on the screen, but I, I want to hear the pages turn. For Do all things without murmuring and disputing. I'm glad we've already received the offering today. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. And now, 
let's go back to where this was taken from in 1 Corinthians especially. And I'm going to say that anytime the apostle here writes, and he's always writing in context of the history of Israel, meaning as he's writing to the New Testament church, the, 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 he's the one that said those things were written for our example. So some of that would be in his mind when he uses these words. So we're going to back up in time. We're going to catch a particular moment. We're not going to really develop the thought as much about what caused this as just the context. It's more of context here today. Verse 1 of Numbers 11. <laughs> and when the people complained. Now it's time to take a survey. And when the people complained, look what it says. Hmm, it is so quiet in here. Wow. Are we, is this the same group that just a moment ago we were shouting the Lord down? And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Now, a moment ago, we said, I've called to the Lord, and he heard it. That ain't all he hears. <laughs> Let's read that further. I, I didn't write it. I just read it. It displeased the Lord, and the, and the Lord heard it. And his anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were on the uttermost parts of the camp. So I want to talk to you today about the crippling power of complaining. That's why I said everybody gets mail today, including the one that stands in front of you, for he has fallen prey to this as well. But I'll tell you what, I want to be sharpened. I want to challenge myself. I want the Word of God to speak to me, so let's let it. Father, we love you. We have read your Word. We will, re we will continue to read your Word in the course of this sermon, which is an exhortation of the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that preaching will come easy in this house. The hearts of the people will be ready to receive. And that this would be a day, this would be a day in which every person on the sound of my voice would not be thinking, oh man, that message is really for my spouse. Or that message is really for somebody else in this church. But this is the day that we sit and say, God, I receive of your instruction and your correction. I receive it, God, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. But I'm going to, there are some sins that if we were to list on the screen a list, how many know there's a lot of ways to sin? Sin simply meaning missing the mark. We could put a lot of things on the screen. And you might be able to go and check off a few of the, a few, very few, but you might be able to say, you know what, I really don't know if I've been on that one as of yet, praise the Lord. But I'm not so sure that we could say, I have not sinned by complaining because the tongue is an unruly evil are you out there today i have it in my notes and i think it's true i'm going to be honest it says we have all sinned in this area so one of the most difficult things that we do in our christian experience is to go through challenging seasons of life and not sin with our mouth did you know what webster defines complaining as it's an expression of grief, pain, or discontent. In the Hebrew, it actually means sad or sorrowful, so you have to put it in its context. Obviously, being sad or sorrowful is not necessarily complaining. So in the context, complaining, it's murmuring then, is this. It's not necessarily sinful to feel discontented, but to express it. When you express it, you give it life, right? You sow it in the earth. Do you know what com complaining actually is? Complaining is actually unbelief spoken. So I've been teaching in the journey about speaking the word of faith, faith in your heart. You confess or speak with your mouth. Well, unbelief finds its outlet through your mouth oftentimes as well. And so look at what the psalmist said. And, and there's going to be a few verses of Scripture layered through this sermon uh, that will be on the screen. But Psalm 106 is, is speaking of this moment, and that's the beauty of this journey of Israel. So it's what's powerful is, is when Paul writes about it in Romans 15 and 4 and 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, as he looks back to that passage of Scripture there, and he writes, and he says, let's all look back. Well, he's not the only one. There are a number of psalms that are looking back to the journey of the children of Israel where they are recording what happened, their response to the Lord, their response to the calamity that they found themselves in. And here's what the psalmist is writing. He's writing about this very situation. He said, yea, they despised the pleasant land. And look at this. 
they believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. And so let me say it one more time because I want you to carry this. If anything can get in your heart today here just real quickly. Is that complaining is, is in essence is unbelief spoken. The same way as when you and I have a word of faith. We have received the word of faith. We believe the word of faith. And we confess the word of faith. When we have unbelief harboring in our heart. It wants to find an outlet so that it can be sown in the earth. And it finds its outlet through our mouth. And so the psalmist said, they believed not his word, but rather than speaking the word, they chose to murmur in their tent. Complaining, complaining is a choice. Because here's what it is, it's a natural reaction, it's a natural reaction to a stressful situation. The spirit, let me know in your Christian communion with God, that the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. What I've learned in my examining my life, I'm going to be very honest, there's only one person that I thought about that I know, that I know very intimately when I was preparing this sermon. And it was me. I didn't think about anybody else's complaint. I didn't think about anyone in our church or anybody in my family whatsoever, for to do so would be hypocritical. I simply challenged my own heart, knowing that I too have given place to unbelief by complaining. Complaining is a learned tendency. It's the work of the flesh. How many of you know while you were in the flesh, that was your pattern of behavior? When you're in the flesh, you just responded to situations carnally. But how many know you are no longer in the flesh, right? I mean, I know we dwell in a fleshly body, but we are in the spirit. And so therefore, we are new creatures in Christ Jesus Old things have to pass away, and God says all things should become new. And so, and I believe that reflects every part of our life, including the way we think, what we harbor in our heart, and then also what we speak. And this is, a, you know, this is one of my, I hate to say favorite verses of Scripture, but Ephesians 4 and 17, when Paul said concerning, uh, he said, that I write unto you, you know, that, that you henceforth walk not as the other Gentiles who walk in the vanity of their mind. In Ephesians 4 and 17, but in verse number 29, I think I gave on that verse. If not, I'm going to read it to you just real, real quickly because I want you to just see that here, Ephesians 4 and 29, because it's a choice. What we say is a choice. Paul says here, look at this on the screen. Let no corrupt communication. How do you know that complaining is corrupt communication that proceeds out of your mouth, but rather which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearer? And so because we're in the kingdom of God today, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we can make a choice to suppress the weakness of our flesh and to guard the words of our mouth. So rather than sow the seed of unbelief in the, hears, or excuse me, in the ears of those that are listening and in our own ears, we can also speak that which is good and just and pure that will bring the life of God with it. Let me tell you what, um, what are the results just real quickly? of complaining. When we find ourselves succumbing in a stressful situation and we give place to the weakness of our flesh and we allow that complaint to bubble up on the inside of us and we give it place by sowing it, what are some of the results of complaining? Well, first of all, and this should be the most important to you, is number one, it displeases the Lord. I mean, that the writer, Moses there, he plainly just said that the, 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 the first result of this is that there is some measure of fracturing in my communion and my fellowship with God when I'm not believing God and rather I'm complaining. So it displeases the Lord. Number two, it gives place to the devil or the serpent or the destroyer or in this, play, in this passage, the plague or the judgment of God that fell. So it gives place to sometimes devastating you know, uh, 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 what would be the right word there? There's a consequences that we have created for ourselves because we complained. But here's something that I want you to really focus on for just a moment. Here's what it does to you personally, because as a pastor, this is a journey of life that I'm on, but it's a journey that I want you to be on as well and recognize this, is that we're all growing in our faith. And we're all moving, just like Israel was. They were taken out of bondage. They were delivered out of Egypt, as you've heard me say many times, that they might be brought in to the promised land. How I many know we are delivered from the bondage of sin, that we might be brought into newness of life? 
And so here, it hinders your growth and your progression. And here's what happens. You either wander and waste rather than transition and possess the promises of God. When all we do is complain in our lives. But this also is something that I want you to be guarded of. And I want you to learn from. It will cripple others as well. It can hinder their destiny. Because you're sowing the seed of unbelief and it becomes like leaven. Did you know that Moses, he sinned with his own lips because of the complaining of the children of Israel? The psalmist said, and I may be getting ahead of myself, the psalmist was looking back on the moment when Moses, out of frustration, everybody remember Moses in his frustration, he smote the rock twice the second time. It was out of frustration because the people continued to complain. But the psalmist said, it doesn't say this in the book of uh, uh, Exodus or, or Numbers where it's recorded, but the psalmist said it moved Moses to speak unadvisably with his lips. People were complaining about Moses, so he was complaining about the people. And the cycle of unbelief was sown, and it began to cripple and hinder other people. It actually led to Moses not being able to go into the promised land. So what you say can affect those that are around you when you constantly complain. This is a good word, church family. You know why it's a good word? Because I didn't write it. I'm just reflecting it and reading it. So as I relate to Israel's complaining, there's just four areas I want to draw your attention to that I want you to look at with me for a moment. Here's something you got to do. You hear me say this quite often. you got to be the wheel within the wheel. you got to find this. I can't deal with every, every situation that Israel in the wilderness journey where they complain might not be exactly what you're going through. There might be just a little bit of nugget related to you. But I'm going to look at it just briefly for four little areas where we see where the children of Israel complain. And in doing so, it will help us maybe say, okay, I can learn. Because that's what Paul said. I want you to learn from what took place with them. And Paul went as far. He could have written down a lot of things in 1 Corinthians 10. But he chose murmuring as one that he wanted to mention, so that every generation of believers, from the time that the apostle would write it until the time that the eastern sky parts and Christ is revealed, we would look back on that and say, my goodness, look at the crippling effects of complaining. Maybe I can do better. You know, really, Israel's complaining started, I originally wrote it at the Red Sea, but it really started in Egypt. When the children of Israel, when Moses had gone in before Pharaoh, you all remember when I preached that Moses had gone in before Pharaoh, let my people go, and the people were super excited, and Moses said, I don't even, excuse me, Pharaoh said, I don't even know the Lord, and he began to double the workload upon the people, and they began to put all this pressure on the people, immediately the people began to complain, and that was a that, that began to set a precedence for them in this journey. But it really began to come forward at the Red Sea. The Red Sea, the, the children of Israel found themselves in a very particular and peculiar position. Y'all know this. I preached about it. I won't go back into it. But I want you to just see real quickly. Moses had led them to a place in the Red Sea where the Red Sea was in front. Pharaoh's army was at the rear. And there was a reaction to that pressure. And that's what happens with many of us. We find ourselves in difficult situations. And in those difficult situations, we become frantic in the flesh. In essence, what was taking place was a panic attack in the carnal, natural man. And that the anxiety that is contained, the sin of the flesh and the work of the flesh, began to bubble up on the inside of them. And here's what they said. Here's what they said in that moment. When they looked behind them and saw Pharaoh's army and the cloud rising up, the cloud of dust, as the chariots and the horsemen and the footmen began to approach, and they looked, they were hedged in on the right side and on the left side, and in front of them was the Red Sea. Here's what they began to say. They said, is not this the word that we did tell you, Moses, in Egypt? Leave us alone. Stop preaching this. Just let us live and serve the Egyptians. Because it would have been better to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Our flesh doesn't like it when God brings us to the place where trusting God is our only option. But I have found in my life there are times when God will hedge me in. Well, I got only one thing. I'm going to have to trust the Lord. And so what you say, Pastor Brown, what, what should they have done? Well, just for the sake of time, Moses discovered in prayer. Because Moses told the children of Israel when he heard their complaint, here's what he said. He said, hold your peace. How many know sometimes if you ain't got anything good to say, don't say anything at all? If, if the word of faith is not bubbling up on the inside of your heart, at the very least, suppress complaining. 
If you don't have the courage to open your mouth as of yet and say, I know God is going to make a way, come on, somebody, then at very least just simply hold your peace. Stand still, the writer said, and he said, and you'll see the salvation of God. Sometimes you just got to say, God, I'm going to wait on you and then have the courage that when God gives you direction, you go forward by faith. So Israel complained at the Red Sea, and so do we. We oftentimes complain when we find ourselves in difficult situations when we can, uh, when to trust God is your only option. So guard yourself today. Number two, I found the children of Israel complaining at Mount Sinai. <laughs> this is kind of one of my favorite ones to talk about because now they're complaining about Moses. Now, I don't know who that we're relating to in this right here. I don't know. It could be Moses could be related to anybody, I suppose. But in this particular moment, I don't know what's in, my, in your mind, but I, maybe I know what's in my mind. Because here's what it says it, when I began to see. Actually, this was a part of the journey all along. But in Exodus 32, anybody remember when the children of Israel, Moses had gone up on the mountain. And about, that first, about three weeks, you know, they're like, all right, I don't know where he's at. And, and, and they're, they're in the camp, and they're, and they're surviving. And like, where's the preacher at? I don't know, 28 weeks. He's on, he's on an extended sabbatical. And, and then about the 40th day or so, here's what they said. Look at this. <laughs> it said the people said, we, we don't even know. We don't even know where he is. We don't even know where Moses, we don't know what's even become of him. Numbers 14 and 2 says this, that they complained about Aaron and Moses both. And then it's repeated again in, Mo, in, in Exodus 16 and 8. And actually, I want to read that one because in 16 and 8, it really says this. And this is Moses' rebuttal to the people. He said, the Lord hears your murmurings because when you murmur against him, he said, because he said, if you're murmuring against us, you're really not murmuring against us, but you're murmuring against the Lord. And so the context here was ministry, but I'm going to just go one beyond that today for just a moment of time. My shoulders are square, and I'm, I've been doing this long enough. I can handle in those things. But really the reality is it's just about us as individuals complaining and putting blame on other people. We're so quick to do that. Pastor, when did that start? It started in the Genesis. It, start, it started when a man named Adam and his wife and the Lord said, Adam, I've been looking for you all day. Where you been at? I thought you'd be in the middle of the garden. I, I, there's a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of life. I said you could eat of all the trees of the garden. It's just that one. Where have you been at, Adam? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to? Well, it wasn't me. I mean, I did, but it was the woman. The woman that you gave me. The woman, could you catch that? The woman that you gave me. He blamed two. First he blamed him, but then he said, really, really, you know, I was fine. I had the garden all to myself. It was just me and the animals. It was you that thought that I was, needed somebody to be a companion for it. So it was, it's not just Eve, it's you, Lord. You're the one. And we're still doing that to this day. We still don't want to accept accountability and responsibility for certain situations in our life, and we're always wanting to blame somebody else. And you've got to be very, very careful. And many years ago when I wrote some of these things down, you know, I was just writing to teach the church about the power and encouraging the church to, to not, be, uh, to, to, to not uh, almost supplant ministry by complaining about ministry. But after 20 years and a close fellowship, I, I don't go to bed at night wondering or worrying about people that are complaining about me as a pastor because I feel the warmth and the love of this church family and the encouragement and the prayers of this church family. And I'm grateful. But the principle is still there. And we all need it sown into our heart that we just simply need to be guarded in what we say about others. And we need to be guarded when we're complaining about others, especially in areas that affect our own responsibility. Number three today, though, is food. So now, first of all, let's back up real quick. So we find Israel complaining at the Red Sea. And then we find them complaining at Mount Sinai. And then now they're in this place going through the wilderness when hunger begins to set in upon them. So let's read this. There's two verses here. There are three verses that I want to draw your attention to. Exodus 16, 2 and 3, two different scenarios but the same context. In Exodus 16 and 2 and 3, it says the whole congregation of the children of Israel, once again, what are they doing? They're murmuring against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the, in the land of Egypt, because I, I'm going to develop this. This is every time I read this, I get stirred up. When we sat by the flesh pots, we did eat bread to the full, 
For you have brought us forth in this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Read Numbers 11, verse number 5 with me. They put that on the screen. He said, we remember the fish. And then look at the next statement. This is the people complaining and murmuring to Moses when they're in the wilderness. And God, not in Exodus 16 as of yet, that's when he did bring manna. But later, by the time now we read in the book of Numbers, chapter number 11, they, they have already uh, had manna given to them. But manna's not good enough. And they say, we're remembering the fish, we're remembering the cucumbers, we're remembering the melons and the leeks and the onions. But notice this, is that first, that right there in that first sentence, it says, which we did eat in Egypt freely. Let me go ahead and talk about that for just a moment of time. Because when you're in the wilderness, here's where you're at. You're in a transitional place in your walk with God. And the excitement of the promise rescinds somewhat when the cravings of the flesh begin to arise. And you're in a place between. You have the promise, but you don't have the possession. You have the forgiveness of sin, but you're not really deep in fellowship with God as of just yet. And so in doing so, your mind can play tricks on you. And you can begin to look back to your old way of life. And you can look back at your own way of life because you find yourself in a difficult situation right now. You're saying, well, if I'm going to serve God and still be in this difficult situation, maybe it wasn't really that bad when I was in sin. But I want to remind you today of how ignorant this is of the children of Israel to say we did eat this in Egypt freely. They didn't eat anything freely. They paid for it with labor and toil and with the blood of their sons and their daughters and they knew no freedom and they didn't get up and they didn't have brighter days. They couldn't own their own land. They didn't have their own vineyard. They didn't have their own well. They couldn't have their own livestock apart from it being under Pharaoh's control. Nothing was given. They had nothing. But when they're in bond, when they're in this moment, the mind becomes a place of deception. And I know a lot of people in the kingdom of God get in that moment of time where they find themselves in lack, situational places in life where we're just saying, God, where are you? And in doing so, sometimes we revert back to the way things used to be. That's a dangerous place. Your memory will deceive you if you're not careful, right? The deceitfulness of sin, and it's the challenge of transition. They didn't need anything for free. Again, they paid with hard labor and bondage. They paid with the lives of their children. They cried out to God by reason of the sorrow. Said, so, Pastor, well, what should they have remembered? Well, if they were going to remember anything, they should have remembered the word of faith. That's why when you're in a moment of weakness and lack, remember the word of faith. Remember what God has said. If God is true to his word, he'll bring it to pass. God will put you in seasons of your life where you learn to be content. I know nobody's really shouting me down on that, but I'm going to say it one more time. I'm telling you, God is more uh, concerned with your character than your prosperity. I know that's not, that's not going to get me on uh, TBN, but I'm going to say it again. God is more concerned about how you respond to him rather than your prosperity. And so let me just say this again as you develop and as you seek the Lord. Paul said it this way. He said, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. But he said, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What did he say? He said, I know to have seasons in my life when the blessing of God is running me down and the favor of grace is upon my life and I've seen the blessing of the Lord in every area of my life. But Paul also said, I know what it's like to have times of struggle. And he said, you know what? I have found that God calls me to a place of contentment. And I'm telling you that when you really find yourself in that place of contentment, I believe in prosperity. I believe in the promises of God. But I want you to know I would rather, I would rather have contentment than physical and financial resources. Because I want you to know you can go to bed at night with your heart at peace. At peace just knowing, God, I'm just trusting you. He's going to make a way. You know, sometimes, you know what you got? The children of Israel had food. Don't think for a moment they didn't have food. God was faithful. He rained manna from heaven. How would you like to be able to get up in the morning and go to the refrigerator and go on top of the box and pull out a box of manna and pour that in a bowl with a little goat milk and cheese? The Bible says they did eat angels' food. God was faithful. God is faithful in your life. Sometimes we don't look hard enough. Sometimes we just think that in this journey we've got something in our minds that we become so focused on that we lose sight of the greater picture of this. And so I want you to, I want, I want to look at this. When I look back at the children of Israel, remember the word of God, remember the promises of God, 
and be content. Sometimes God saves the best for last. And the last thing I'm going to draw your attention to of the, of the things that my, my mind was drawn to this. I want to say this to you. I want to say this again. There's not a lot left here in the subject matter here today. When I was preparing my heart for this message and, and studying out things that I had studied out a long time ago, there wasn't a single person. I said that priest on the seventh There wasn't a single person that I was thinking about. There wasn't a member of this church that I said, God, I hope that person doesn't stops complaining. I looked at that and I said, God, help me. Help me. Help me in times when I'm up and times when I'm down to hold fast to my profession of faith without wavering and to give no place to unbelief and harbor it in my life. And if I'm, if I'm creating anxiety in others by complaining, then, Lord, let me mute my tongue, right? Let me, if I'm, if I'm going to say anything, let me say things that bring grace to the hearer, that builds up their faith and encouragement. If I have to just suppress, and if I don't have in the old adage, if I don't have anything good to say, Lord, let me not say anything at all. So, but when you go and you follow the children of Israel and you're looking at their murmuring, how, how come this is important, church family? Because Paul the apostle, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said these things were written for your learning. Your learning that 2,000 years later we could still, 2,000 years, not from the, inc the, the incident, the incident's about 1,400 years before Paul writes about it. So we're looking at an historical event that's 3,400 years old. And it's just as relevant to us that we learn to not sow unbelief by what we speak. That we harbor unbelief in our heart and then we allow it to come out of our mouth through something that we feel is justified called complaining. Ooh, that's good preaching for a guy dressed in black. Here's the biggest one, though. Here's the reality. Here's the one that you'll find over and over again with the children of Israel. And I have to find my place on how to make this applicable to us. It was water. It was the greatest trial of all. The wilderness. They were in the wilderness. The wilderness journey. It's called a dry and thirsty land. It was a dry and thirsty land. So it was on more than one occasion. Let me just read those. Exodus 15 and 24. The people murmured against Moses, said, what shall we drink? Exodus 17 and 3, the people thirsted for water. And once again, the people murmured against Moses. Said, you brought us out of Egypt to kill us and our cattle with thirst. Our children and our cattle with thirst. Numbers 20, verses 2 through 5, there was no water for the congregation. They gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron. I'll tell you what, Moses and Aaron had a tough job. <laughs> he didn't, they did not pastor a church like I pastor. Uh, they, that, theirs was a tough, uh, a tough one. And the people chided with Moses, and they said, Would to God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. That's encouraging, isn't it? And why have you brought up this congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have you made us to come out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And this particular passage of Scripture is the passage of Scripture where their unbelief spilled over into Moses, and he began to complain. And then when he fell prey to sin, he was pro prohibited from entering into the promised land. So I'm telling you, what you say is also what you sow. And so you have to be very, very careful. So for the first time, maybe excusable, but after this, God has shown his faithfulness. So there's a problem with the people of Israel, simple. And I want to make this applicable to you if I can. They were expecting others to provide drinking water for them. And there are some things and times in your life when God does use other people to provide things for you. But there are times that you can do something yourself. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. So I want you to think real quickly about drinking water. Drinking water is, in essence, a natural thing into your natural thirst. But in the kingdom of God, it's also related to our spiritual thirst. Right? And, and so when I, when I thought on this and pondered it, it's like Israel was like many in the church. They became dependent upon someone else to provide water for them. That's why many in the church complain about worship services or seasons. They want the pastor to wave his rod and water suddenly streams out. Here's the thing I know about God in the natural. See, first in the natural, then in the spiritual. 
God's promise to the children of Israel included personal commitment and dedication and involvement. God could send rain. He could. How many know God can send rain? He was bringing the children of Israel into a land that he said drinks the rain of heaven. How many know God can open the clouds of heaven at any time? Both in the natural and in the spiritual. And in this moment, you got to see both. you got to see the natural, but you also got to see the spiritual. So the natural reflects our own spiritual thirst. And, and because we need spiritual thirst, we need to long for the presence of God and long for him and know that God will meet us. And so God could send rain, but he could also provide water out of a rock. He had already proven himself by the time in Numbers 20. He had already shown that God can do things that are just bre- that, that breaches the natural. I mean, they, 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 they believe they have found the rock in Arabia that perhaps Moses hit, the split rock at that, that, that the water flowed out of. You can go online and see pictures of it. They've known about it through discovery for the last 30 years. And you can see a riverbed coming out of a split rock that perhaps is the very place. So they knew that previously. If God did it once, he could do it again, right? And so he's just that kind of God. But at the same time, there's also something that's overlooked. The children of Israel would camp at times for a, an entire year in one place. You know what they could do? They could dig a well. Now, I'm going to show you this. Now, let's go to Numbers 21 for just a moment. We'll read three verses, and we're nearing the end of this message. i got to be careful with this next phrase right here when it hits the screen. Because it says, and from thence they went, not, not four, but two. But we'll let all that go right there, because it's probably not as it reads. It's probably Bayer, but you know how you read it. So read it, read it, don't read it in your, your modern version that would say, and my homies in the wilderness went for, no, you don't read it that way. And from thence they went to Be'er, because there was a well there. There was a well there, but, but notice this, gather the people, and he said, I will give them water. But read it further with me, don't end right there. It said there's a well there, but wait a minute. Then Israel sang this song. So they began to sing a song, and they said, spring up, O well, sing ye unto it. The princes dig the well, and the nobles digged it by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. So with their wooden staves that we would call a shovel, they, d- they dug the well. But let me say this. I'll drop this in your heart today. Some people complain when there's no life in the church. But princes... We'll dig a well. Nope, you didn't catch that. I'm going to say it one more time. I felt you missed that entirely. Sometimes in the church, it doesn't seem like there's any moving and there's no spiritual awakening or there's no refreshing of the presence of God. And the church often finds itself in a season of complaint. We say things and we sit back and we murmur and we complain and we say our church is cold and I didn't receive any refreshing. I'm not getting anything out of the rock. Preacher, please hit the rock again. That's what some people do. They complain. But you know what a prince does? A prince will dig a well. A prince will say, you know what? I'm going to pray until the glory of God is seen. I'm going to intercede until I know the presence of the living God is going to be in the sanctuary. I'm going to pray and I'm going to praise and I'm going to worship. I'm going to take my resources that are committed unto me And I'm going to trust that in a season when there may be dryness around us, but I'm going to dig deep into the heart of the earth because I know there's water there. And if I will do my part, God will do his part. So princes will dig a well when other folks will complain. Dig a well. Speak prophetically. Spring up a well of living water and let the glory of God be seen in the church. So I'm concluding this message today. Very pastoral, as you know, I will say this with no apologies. It's very pastoral because God said the people complained and it displeased the Lord. And if we can't look at that and say, you know what, Lord? God forbid that I don't receive that into my heart as the word of faith for my life. Life is difficult and challenging. Let me tell you this today. In the generation that we live in, that everybody gets the participation trophy generation. Life is difficult and it is challenging. It is often unfair and relenting. But to complain often only exasperates the situation. 
giving place to the enemy, giving place to destruction, or giving place to judgment. Psalm, one, Psalm 19 verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord. Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says, you know what? I didn't read the next verse of Scripture there, but I think in the 15th verse, he said, among whom you shine as lights in the world. But we read the 14th verse, do all things without disputing and without complaining. What would your life be like? What would your family be like if we found ourselves in difficult situations and yet we suppressed the carnal desire within ourselves to complain? What, it would, what would it be like? I'll tell you what faith could arise. What would it be like? What, what would it do in the church? What would it do in the church if we just, as a collective group of people, if all of us took this sermon to heart and, and it's not just about church, but just about life. What about when you get overlooked for that promotion? You got to trust the Lord. What about when there's a contentious thing that happened at school? What about on your job and there's contention between you and someone else? What are you, you going to do with that? I'm not saying that you can't respond to those situations, but you better be guarded from responding till it becomes, and lest it become complaining. Or some of the very same things that happen to Israel can happen to us. We give place to the destroyer. We bring ourselves into a place of judgment. We wander and waste rather than transition and possess. It's a good word, church family. It's a real word today. Joe, do you care to join me on the platform here today to close the message off today so that I can lead us to a place of prayer? And then I've got one final thing that I want to share in closing that I think is appropriate based upon the scripture and based upon the time. So when I prepare a very pastoral sermon, I come here with different hopes within me. So obviously, I'm a pastor slash teacher. I want to teach you something. I, I, want, I want students that are in high school to be able to walk away and say, man, my preacher, he preaches a long time, but he t challenged me about complaining. Because if you can learn it now, you'll be a far better adult. Come on, you will. You'll, you'll be able to go through difficult situations. Because I'm telling you that you're going to go through. Listen, I believe in the word of faith with all of my heart. But the word of faith does not prevent us from challenging and difficult situations. That's where the word of faith is proven. Right? That's when it's proven in those situations. And so I hope to teach you. Then I hope for many of us, it's corrective behavior. We've already learned this natural tendency. We find ourselves a little bit later in life, and that's, it's harder to be delivered of things that you've lived with for a long time, right? And so, but, but I'll tell you what, but that's no excuse. You can't say, well, I'm 82 years old. Well, I, get my, I got my right to complain. No, you don't. No, you do not. In that whole generation of Israel, you had the young to the old. As a matter of fact, the old didn't get to go into the promised land because of their complaining. But the young did. So no, you don't have a right to do that. He said, do all things without disputing, without murmuring and complaining. Because when you do, you are sowing the seed of unbelief in the ears of those that are around you. For faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So I always hope to teach all of us, I don't care who we are, I don't care if you're rich or poor, the crises that you may be in, or whether you're in the golden years of your life and everything's good around you, I tell you what, I want the Word of God to be relevant to you so that you can hide it in your heart and apply it to you when you walk out of here. But I also hope to be able to reach somebody. Maybe there's somebody that's been invited to our church and maybe they don't know the Lord in such a way. Can I teach a lesson about Israel complaining in the wilderness and the Spirit of God take that? And begin to tug on their heart and bring them to a place where they're saying, you know what? I need the Lord. I don't know. That's, that might, only God can do that. But, so when I pray here today, I want to pray with you and then I want to bless you with a psalm here in just a second. But I want to ask us to do a couple of things this morning. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. And let me first speak to maybe if there is a person that's here among us 
that you were welcome to church today and people greeted you and there was fellowship. And we, we've sat, you've sat among us today. But I've been doing this long enough to know that just because people come to church, just because people sit amongst the church, doesn't mean they know the Lord. Doesn't mean they know Him. And I, I know I didn't necessarily preach the Easter Sunday message today. I didn't necessarily preach about, you know, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But that's in the context of everything that we do. Paul moved me to preach this as he wrote to the church that had been saved by the redemptive blood of Jesus. So here I am asking you, I, I don't want to pray with my church family without giving you an opportunity. If you're here today and perhaps you do not know the Lord as your Savior and as your Deliverer, I want to pray with you first. If that be you, if you're here today among us and say, Pastor Brown, man, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. I just know I feel something inside me. I feel the Lord. My, my, my pulse is faster, and, and I'm getting sweaty right now. I, I don't know what it is. It's the Spirit of God. He's calling you. He's calling you. You're, he wants you to be His, but you've got to come out of sin and come to Him today. If that's you, Slip your hand up, young or old, I'll pray with you right where you're at. If there's anyone among us today, anyone, I'll wait. Our heads are bowed just so that it's a private moment. If there's anybody here today, anyone else, anyone here today. Number two today. Number two for each of you. Is there anybody that will put your heart in agreement with mine and says, Pastor Brown, I want to pray today for God to forgive me of complaining as I've learned through the lens of this scripture, that it's unbelief spoken. That's what it is. It's unbelief. Forgive me when I have spoken unbelief through complaining, dear Lord. Pastor, by the upraised hand, I identify with it, and I want you to pray with me today. You know what? If your hand doesn't go up, that just means you're Baptist and you're afraid to lift it in here today. Because everybody ought to raise their hand in here today. All of us. Let's pray together, and then I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to speak something over you here today. Father, today, I've had the privilege of reading this several days in advance, of challenging my own heart. But people came here today on a day when we got a, a dinner spread for them, and there's fellowship, and they were confronted with a word that said, the people complained, and it displeased the Lord. And I would dare say that every one of us or the majority of us under the sound of my voice even fell prey to some level of complaint or complaining this very week. This very week. God, forgive us. Who will pray that with me today? Who will pray? God, cleanse me. First of all, Father, even as you're cleansing me, confront me with the truth of the word. Confront me with it. Let me receive it. God, you, you correct those you love. I receive this word as correction. Who will pray that with me? I don't know. I feel like I'm alone in that. I want to say it one more time with a little bit more fervency. Lord, I want to receive this word as correction. It is, uh, I just read, it is unbelief spoken, God. And I don't want to be guilty of speaking unbelief in my family, of sowing it and affecting the destiny of others. And, and I'm, I'm calling it frustration, but it's more than frustration. It's gone from frustration to complaining to murmuring, whether I do it in the tent, the car, the house, or the church, wherever I do it, God, I just pray, wherever I have, whether that's been a part of my character, forgive me, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, and wash me clean, that I might be clean before you. God, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, my Redeemer, in Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen. Now stand up with me today, and we're going to close in prayer. That wasn't a closing prayer. I'm going to speak a psalm over you today. We're going to read it. They're going to put it over the screen. I probably won't read the entirety of it, but I want to say, Pastor, so bring me to that place, Pastor. Let's just read this one more time here real quickly. It's a psalm. The psalmist said, I cried unto God with my voice. Y'all read it with me. You can see it. Even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. That's powerful, isn't it? In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord which is a good thing to do. But even when you pray, you got to know how to pray the right way. 
My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. I tried to sleep. I was still awake. I'm so troubled that I can't even speak. The, the psalmist is painting the, uh, a, a place and a position of a, of a worshiper who's just in a difficult place. He's praying to God, but even in his praying, he's just complaining. He said, I call to remembrance my song of the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. I even begin to question God. Verse 7, will the Lord cast off forever? Where are you, God? And will it be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Why are others blessed and I'm in the plight that I'm in? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God, verse 9, forgotten to be gracious? Is he angry with me? Is he shut up his tender mercies? The psalmist concluded this thought, and he said, this is my infirmity. But then I love this. But I'm going to remember the years of the right hand of the Most High God. And I'm going to remember the works of the Lord. And I'm going to remember your wonders of old. And I'm going to meditate also of your work. And I'm going to talk of your doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God is our God. You're the God that doest wonders. You've declared your strength among the people. It's with your arm that you redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and, jo- and Joseph. And then he takes them, right, and then the psalmist said, you know what, I'm going to remember the children of Israel in the wilderness. Instead of complaining, I'm going to remember what Pastor Brown's been preaching. The waters saw the Lord and they were afraid. The clouds poured out water. The sky sent out a sound. The voice of his thunder was in the heaven. The way was in the sea, the 19th verse. And you led the people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's he saying? I'm going to remember the word of Almighty God. Rather than complaining, rather than, than wallowing in self-pity about my situation, I'm going to take control of my thoughts, and I'm going to begin to remember the good things of God, that God is faithful, and not one good word of His will fail me. If God spoke it, He will bring it to pass. And so, God, we pray today. We pray today, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that all, not only are we not going to complain, but we're going to remember how faithful you are, how mighty you are, how true is your word, God. We're going to remember on our night watch. We're going to remember when our sore is right in front of us. We're going to remember that you're the faithful and the living God, and your word will never fail.